so I, I am the missions pastor. We have a whole missions team, but you guys come, come with us. Bruno's on the missions team. Christine's on the missions team. I'm on the missions team. Scott has spent a lot of time in, in Kenya. Like we have, we have people from all over the world in here. Um, like come, come with us next time. That'd be fun. Okay. Open your Bibles to Ruth chapter three. We, this is, this is week 26 in a four book, little short story. So we're, we're uh, taking our time. Praise the Lord. Okay. So we're in, in Ruth chapter three and we've come to this portion in the story where, you know, we've met Boaz. We know Ruth and Naomi are in their desolate situation and naomi asks ruth this question that says shall i not seek rest for thee that it may be well with thee and and we have covered so far you know this idea of rest and and so we've we're, we're ready for e so our redeemer e enter in s stop your own works that'll be next week if we get to that and then the t is trust not in trials, trust during trials and, and temptations. And so so this week we're going to talk about into rest. Lord, help us. Um, God, I feel like my mouth made it back from Honduras, but my brain hasn't. I, I can't get a word to come out in the right direction. And, and so, Lord, I just ask you to speak to us, help us to, to get what we need this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. By way of review, last like two weeks ago, we talked about how restlessness leads to exhaustion, disheartenment, discouragement, and depression. We saw that in the Word. We saw there is no rest in the world, and yet God has provided a rest for us, and we should seek it until we find it. We talked about starting with the Redeemer. So, for Naomi and Ruth, they weren't going to get redemption unless they had a redeeming a redeemer kinsman. That is someone who is a relative who was willing, able to redeem their inheritance back into their branch of the family tree. We talked about the lover at marriage and all that kind of stuff with the redeeming kinsman. Lo and behold, we as is going to be that guy. We we saw also that idea of rest is is something that is like a fractile anyone know what a fractile is a fractile is, is a thing like a pattern or a thing that just keeps repeating itself and it'll get bigger and bigger and bigger and the more you break it down the more it, it has the same nature just smaller little pieces of the same thing repeated so we saw there is this idea of rest up again and again and again. It's a theme in scripture. We saw the nation of Israel. Okay, so for them, God made a promise of the promised land. Remember, I drew the map up here and it was Canaan. That's where Abram was when God said, I'm going to give you all this land. It was that land, the promised land. Okay. And then Cain, like Israel was going to enter into the promised land but they couldn't enter in. Why couldn't? Why didn't they enter into the promised land the first time? Disobedience. Disobedience. Unbelief, yes. Okay. Because remember the 12 spies went, and the, Caleb and Joshua, the two spies were like, let's go, God said we could do it. And the other 10, 
were afraid and their fear led them to give a bad report of the land. And then all the people jumped on that. God's like, okay, you're not going to enter the promised land. You're going to go wander around in the wilderness. And so this is, this is the second giving of the law. So the second time around, it's like, it kind of asks us this question sometimes, like, are you ready to listen yet? Or you want to go another round in the wilderness? Okay. I don't know if you've been there. Christina and I came to the point where like, okay, we're done. We're, we're ready to listen. We're ready to enter. And this is Deuteronomy, the second chance. So here's the second chance. God says, you shall not do after the things that we do here this day before we cross over. Every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. Okay, we're going to stop doing that. Stop leaning on your own understanding, if you will. Okay, stop doing whatever you think is the best thing to do. For ye are not as yet come to the rest. Okay, and the point that we made was the promised land was like synonymous with rest. So God told him, you can't enter the promised land. The New Testament reference in Hebrews said that they weren't allowed to enter into the rest, not because of giants, because of unbelief. They didn't believe God. Okay. So we want to look at finding rest in Ruth this morning. And so here in Ruth 3, verses 3 through 5, let's just read it together. I'll read that last. Follow along. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred, whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he went with barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself, therefore, and anoint thee, and put thine raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man, until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lieth down, that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet, and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And she said unto her, and Ruth said unto Naomi, all that thou sayest unto me, I will do. Okay, again, the first thing was, hey, you know Boaz? So it started with the Redeemer, but now Ruth has to decide, will she enter in? So, so the question here for the way it is in this passage is, thou shalt go in, in verse 4. Okay, so... Let's let's look at it doctrinally for a minute. And this will be mostly about Boaz here. And then we'll talk about a personal application in which we'll we'll look at, at Ruth a little bit. So what Boaz doing? Well, before he slept. What verse two? He was drinking. Okay. Verse two. What's Boaz doing in verse two? winnowing barley the the lord of the harvest is on the threshing floor separating the from the chaff how about that 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 kind of helps us paint a picture a little bit doesn't it okay so just some things that we're we're going to talk about our, the the lord of the Boaz. So just some things you already know, but to help contextualize this a little bit. Um, we talked about the harvest when we talked about the feast days. You remember that? 
Anybody remember that? Okay. Let's go back even farther than that. God, in terms of creation, okay? So in, let's talk about God's creation. How many days? So he worked for six days, okay? Then what? He rested on the seventh day. Okay, that's good. Now, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 8 tells us something. It tells us that one day with the Lord is like a thousand years, right? You want me to switch them around? I'm going to leave it like that. You can switch it around on your notes. Okay. Now, just real quick, if a, if a year is as a thousand, if a day is like a thousand years, then what we have here is we have six days of work. So we have, let's say, Adam to Christ is 4,000 years. We know that just through history of studying our Bible and the times and all that. Then we have 2,000 years after Christ came. Now, when Christ came, he told his disciples in John chapter 4, you think there's four months, a few months left until the harvest? I'm telling you that the fields are white unto harvest. The, the church age is likened unto a harvest, right? So this is like the harvest of the church age. All right. After the harvest of the church age, what do we have? What's the last thousand years of human history according to Revelation chapter 20? The millennium. The millennium is, is likened unto a time of rest. It relates to the seventh day where God rested. Why did God rest on the seventh day? There's seven days in sampleship, yes. There's seven days, and he got all the work done on the first six, and the last, it's like there's no work left to do. If there's no work left to do, there's no work left to do, and so there's nothing left to do but rest. Okay, so, so the harvest of the church age, okay, is going to end, and there's going to be a millennium that follows that. Okay, so back to Ruth. Boaz is winnowing barley. So we saw at the end of Ruth chapter 2 that Ruth was with them through the barley harvest and then all the way, what, through the wheat harvest. So both harvests are done. So there's two types of harvest. They're completed, and the Lord of the harvest is separating grain from the chaff in our story of Ruth. Okay, from a doctrinal standpoint, there's some things that happen at the end of the harvest after the work is done, but before the time of rest, and it is a time of winnowing uh, barley. It's, it's separating the chaff from the grain. Okay, so what that, if we just want to expand on this a little bit and bring it over here. So we're looking at, at this time frame right here. I'm going to bring it over here. 
because that's clearly what that is. And then what, so we have the church age and we'll put us over here, okay? And the church age has an end to it. What's that called? The rapture of the church. Okay, the rapture is what happens to those of us that aren't dead at the end of the church age. That's what that is, okay? So we would read about the rapture in 1 Thessalonians 4. Okay, those of us which are alive shall be changed, will be caught up in the air, and we shall be with them. Then, then there's some things that happen. Now, the winnowing, look in your Bibles at, at, at Luke chapter 3 real quick. Keep a finger in Ruth 2, but just look at Luke chapter 3. Luke 3.16. John the Baptist is physically baptizing people unto repentance to the coming Messiah. So he's doing this physical act. It's like, who's going to get baptized? Okay, you, okay, come. You're now separated as someone who is, who is choosing to repent. Okay, so there's this physical act of baptism. Then they're like, hey, John, are you the Messiah? This is what he says. John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water. But one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Okay, that is not a good baptism. You do not want to be baptized with fire. That's not the Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit comes down, something like that. Look at, how do you know? Well, look at verse 17. Whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor. What floor? The threshing floor, where you separate the chaff from the grain. And will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff will he burn with fire unquenchable. The, the grain is going to be gathered to its rightful place. The chaff gets burnt up. This picture of Boaz on the threshing floor is a picture of the time of judgment that comes as the Lord of the harvest finishes the work of the harvest of the church age. But before we go into the millennium, so what we have is there's three different judgments. I don't know if you know this. There's three different judgments that are going to be taking place in the next seven to, how, you know, however many years, uh, at least seven. Okay. So the church is raptured out and then we'll put on earth down here. What's going to happen on earth after the rapture? The great tribulation. The tribulation, you guys, is a time of gathering together of the nation of Israel, but it's also a time of judgment. Okay, you can read about that in Exodus chapter 22. Daniel 12, 1. You can read about the tribulation, but basically what you need to know, it is a time of atonement, atonement but also a time of judgment for the nation of Israel. Now, meanwhile, back at the ranch, meanwhile, up here in heaven... Okay, we have the judgment seat of Christ. Judged for our sins, yes or no? No. Our sins were judged at Calvary, praise the Lord. We're just, if you serve the Lord, if you build upon the foundation of Christ in your life, then the good things, then you'll get a reward. If you have just built on their carnal things, you're going to suffer loss. You can read about this in 1 Corinthians 
chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, okay? Then after the judgment seat of Christ, there's this thing called the marriage supper. You guys heard about that? You read about it in Revelation chapter 19, okay? 1 through maybe 7-ish. And what you're going to find is that the there is a bride of Christ, okay? At the end of the, the time of judgment, okay, the bride of Christ makes herself ready, and then something happens. The Lord returns at his second coming. This is the rest of Revelation 19. You can also read about this in um, 2 Thessalonians 4 or uh, 2. 1 Thessalonians 4 says that he will bring his saints back with him. So those of us who are raptured out, go to the judgment seat, go to the marriage supper, which is in the first part of Revelation, now return with him, which is described in the second part of Revelation 19. Okay, and then there is the battle of Armageddon. After the battle of Armageddon, there's a thing called the, there's another judgment, like the judgment of the nations. You read about it in Matthew chapter 25. It's the sheep goat. Judgment. Okay, this is the third judgment. So one is the judgment seat of Christ. That's the church. Two is the tribulation, that's the Jews. Number three is this judgment of the nations after the battle of Armageddon. These are part of that threshing floor, the Lord of the harvest. The harvest is done. It's time to separate the chaff from the wheat. And then following this is the millennial reign, 1,000 years of ruling and reigning with Christ. It's also a time of rest. Okay, so go back to Ruth chapter two, Ruth chapter three. That's after that, right. Okay, Ruth chapter 3. Now, is not Boaz of our kindred with whose mate? Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Are you guys seeing this? The harvest is done. He's separating the grain from the chaff. Here comes the Gentile bride to the Jewish redeemer kinsman. Wash thyself therefore. Okay. You guys, I struggled so much because there's so much here. We'll never cover it. Wash thyself, therefore. Anoint thee, put thy raiment on thee. What is the, the saints are to be clothed in what? You know where you read about that? Revelation 19, where it talks about these things. Okay. Make not thyself known unto the man until he should uh, have done eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lieth down, thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in, uncover his feet, and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. She said unto him, All that thou sayest unto me, I will do. So, from a doctrinal standpoint, it's a recognition that there is an end to the church age, and we need to be getting ourselves ready for the judgment of us the marriage feast of the Lamb in which we need to be clothed in righteousness. Now we have imputed righteousness. We should live that out and prepare ourselves, clothe ourselves with righteousness so that we can 
be at that marriage feast like we need to be. And then, then we enter into a thousand years of ruling and reigning. So we need to be thinking that way. What you're going through today does not matter compared to the things to come. This is all just like your chance to believe. That's all this is. This is your chance to live godly in an ungodly world. It's your chance to go through trials and tribulations faithfully. Okay, that's all this is. We need to keep these things in mind or else we're just going to get so distracted by the giants that you're going to forget. Okay, we're going to talk about that as we transition here into a more personal application. So it's funny because Ruth is it's like, um, hey, can I find rest for you? So, so it will be well with you? And she's like, yeah. Okay, go lie down and do what you're told. Ruth is like, okay. Like, like, like doesn't it seem like Ruth has been out there through the entire barley harvest through the entire wheat harvest we know she's a hard worker she's like doing all this stuff and now to find rest what does she have to do go lie down and do what you're told okay so <clears throat> if i if i give you my word hey mark i give you my word i'm gonna do abc okay and like, I'm, I'm all sincere about it. And then your response is, I don't believe you. What if you gave me your word on something? Maybe you gave your spouse your word. And they didn't believe you. How, how does that make you feel? Why? Yeah, they don't trust you enough to believe what you say. You're basically calling me a liar. Like, to my face. And even if you're nice about it, you're like, well, I really like the way you said that. I'm like, yeah, but do you believe me? Well, no. You're you like, like, that is so offensive. You know what else that's called? It's called unbelief unbelief you're just calling someone else a liar man ruth was told go lie down at his feet and he'll tell you what to do and whatever he tells you to do just do that ruth was like okay she's the only person called virtuous in your entire bible you know what her like she was just willing to believe and just trust and just do it I think sometimes we really love the Bible. We love studying the Bible. We love taking notes. We love learning. I love seeing how it all fits together. That's so affirming. That's empty. No, that's cool. Okay. We love that. Do you love to study your Bible? Do you love it when the light bulb goes off and you see things like that? I think sometimes, though, and, and follow me closely here, because this is hard. This is a, not a. This is like an abstract concept. But I think sometimes that's what we love. Is I love it when I see something that's insightful. It's like yes, 
I got insight. I think we love it when something resonates or or it like completes the the picture. And so like, yes, my I now I agree because now I understand. Now I have more data than I used to have. And so we get to and listen, study your Bibles, study to show yourself approved unto God. Like we do need to study our Bibles. But I know that there's a lot of, of people. Okay. I have like behind the curtain pastor data. Okay. Not talking about this church, but we've been in a lot of other churches. You guys, there's people that know this book and they love studying this book. And they've got like seven computer screens up and they've got their concordances and they've got their their different commentaries and and they're like they're like doing calculus with the bible and praise the lord but and they're they're treating their wives like pastors shouldn't treat their wives and they're not obeying any of it you know why because they don't believe god when he said love your wives like christ of the church so they can like they've got the whole new testament memorized they can cross-reference everything. But here's my question is, hey, pastor, do you believe God? Because you're not actually doing what he said to do. I know you love studying it. I know you love putting it together. The, the guy knows the Bible probably better than I ever will. Okay. But I think maybe he's doing that because he's missed out on the rest that's available to him by simply believing what God said. So his restlessness is driving him to try to find some new experience through study, through conversation, to come to the place where it's like refreshing again or cool again or fun again, and missing out on the rest. I don't, I don't even know if that makes sense to you. But they never got to the place where Ruth just said, whatever God says, I'll believe it and I'll do it. So, so we can look at, the, look at Hebrews. Turn to Hebrews, because Hebrews is so good with this. Hebrews chapter 4. And then uh, we'll break up into small groups after this. So Hebrews 3, the last half of Hebrews 3 is talking about the nation of Israel. And just like we talked about it, the context is that they couldn't enter the promised land, not because of giants, not because of anything else other than unbelief. Okay, the giants were just the circumstances. Could have been snakes, could have been dragons, could have been lions, could have been famine, could have been any circumstances. The problem is what with the circumstance was their focus and not believing on God in the midst of the circumstance. Okay, so so check this out. We get to verse, so verse 19 of 3 says, we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Okay, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left of us entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Okay, 
how is it restful to simply believe God at his word? Like, 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 how does that work? If I simply take God at his word, I can enter into rest. But if I don't, I'm left restless. How, how does that work? Okay, so, so God, you got my attention. I, I fear lest I should fall short of entering into the rest like the nation of Israel. I know those are for examples for me. That's in sampleship, okay? I don't want to go spend another 40 years in the wilderness. How do I enter in through belief? Okay, here's the thing. God told them, I'm giving you this land. All you have to do is go in and take it. Circumstances ended up being really scary for them. So they took their eyes off of what God said. They looked at their circumstances and all of a sudden now what they saw, their own understanding, which is how they'd been operating, doing things according to what was right in their own eyes, was mingled with God, what God said. And they came up with their own conclusions. Okay. And that is not restful, being full of fear that stems from your own, like, like whatever's going on between those ears in there. Okay, the, the chatter, the self-talk, the negativity. You could never. Why are you doing this? You, nobody likes you anyway. Like whatever, it's always negative. Okay, and we listen to that instead of, okay, it's very simple. Caleb and Joshua were right. God said we should do it. Let's go do it. This, why, why are we still talking about this? Okay. So, so Hebrews 4 verse 2 says, uses the gospel as an illustration. All right. My brother and I were, went out the same night at Bible camp and were led in a prayer to receive the gospel. We both received the gospel. We both prayed. Guess what? He didn't get saved. And I asked him why. He's like, I want to wait till I'm older. I want to go have some fun and then I'll do that, which is actually what he ended up doing. Praise the Lord. He's made a profession of faith. But the gospel didn't profit him because he didn't put his faith in it. You probably know people who aren't here today, even though they heard the gospel. Why not? Well, because they didn't believe the gospel and so it didn't profit them. This is our illustration. So think about the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Out of love, out of mercy, Christ gave up his life that we might live. And we said yes to that. Amen. But what about the other person who heard it? They're like, no, I don't believe Jesus died for me. I don't believe God loves me. I think God's a liar. That is wicked unbelief. Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. I don't believe it. God, like God gave us his word. And then people have God's word and what they do is they filter it to, well, I don't know about that. You know what that is, you guys? That's calling God a liar. You know what's really restful? Is God says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And just saying, I believe that. Yes, 
God did that, and I believe it, and I'm trusting in that, and I'm no longer concerned about my salvation. I'm no longer wondering if I'm loved. I'm not. I'm no longer wondering where I go when I die. Look at verse 3 of, of Hebrews chapter 4. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I've sworn in my wrath, they, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Okay, two points here. One is, if God said it, it's true. You can take God at his word. You don't have to filter it through your own understanding. We don't need to be restless trying to figure everything out. We can just go lay down his feet and whatever he tells us, we can just do it and leave all the outcomes up to him. So God, God says, Dennis, be kind one to another. Dennis is like, ah, my neighbor's a jerk. And he's always trying to get one over on me. If I be kind to that guy, I'm going to get taken advantage of. Well, God never said you're not going to get taken advantage of. He just said, be kind one to another. So if I just like, I'm like, okay, God said, be kind. Okay, I'm just going to be kind. One thing I love about your son, when his son started coming around and hanging around my daughter, I'm like, oh, there's boys in my head. Like, oh, you know, like the fatherly thing. And I and I saw Jeff. He he was just always like, well, whatever the Bible says, that's what I'm going to do. I'm like, that's so refreshing. That's so awesome. Like, there's no, he didn't need to discuss it. He didn't have to work through it. It's just, no, I see that's what it says. That's what I'm going to do. Okay. The restful part is that your neighbor, that's God's deal now. You don't have to worry about it. I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to defend myself, protect myself, promote myself, provide for myself. I just have to simply live out whatever God said. And that's so restful. Well, Chris, how's that going to work out for you? I don't know. I, my faith is in God. That's his deal. I know he's going to, I got a whole Bible full of promises and I know I get grace through faith. So I also know I tried living the other way and there's no rest in it. Okay. Last thing. Hebrews chapter four. Jump down to verse 12. Half of you have this verse memorized. It's, it's probably familiar, I, I'm guessing, to almost everyone in this room. For the word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. What's the context to that verse which you've known your whole life? It's talking about the written word of God. It's talking about the Bible. It's talking about what you have on your phone or sitting in front of you. What's the context? The context is finding rest by simply believing what God has said. Lean not on your own understanding. Just we can find rest by simply trusting him according to his word. Now, here's the thing. We have to enter into that. So this week, enter in through belief. Decide I'm simply going to trust God. And I'm going to get rest by simply trusting that. Next week, we're going to add another step to it, okay? But this week, and here's what we can talk about. We've got about 10, 10 minutes in our small groups, 15 if you want, okay? Let's just talk about in our small groups, what does it look like to enter into that rest? And so God brings us to a point of decision on this. The question is unbelief or belief? Okay, and we're all like, belief, yeah, belief. 
Okay, what does that look like for you practically? How does that work? So let's go ahead and get into small groups. You can get in the groups, people around you and, and some of my leaders just get eyes, make sure every group has some has has someone who's been around for a while in it. And then we'll work through these things and I'll dismiss us uh, in about 12 minutes.